We don't want to do our cold open today and talk about something stupid and embarrassing and then be like, oh yeah, show. Well, I can actually talk about something stupid and embarrassing. Um, I Welcome um, to Ted. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I fell for, you know, I fell for an upsell today. I was really hungry and we went to Taco Bell. <laughs> and uh, I, I just want the audience to know, don't buy the 50 extra cents per taco of sour cream, but do buy the 50 extra cents per taco of extra beef. You can feel it. You can feel that extra kilograms. Okay, maybe not full kilograms, but <laughs> grams. You're going to feel the extra grams. Oh, yeah. Such good grams. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, like, you know, even though we're going to have, like, explosive diarrhea because <laughs> I've been fasting for four days. Gonna have. Yeah, will have. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, uh, you know, like, got to eat, and uh, those tacos are pretty good. But you reminded me, my brother-in-law had his birthday recently, mm-hmm. and uh, my sister made him a Taco Bell cake. What? That actually looked like a cake. I'll have to show you pictures of it later. But basically, she bought like, I think, fucking like a dozen or more fucking basic t- uh, burritos, opened them up, and laid them down in layers like a lasagna in a pie form. Like a cake form, and then covered it in sour cream as a frosting, and then decorated it with like little bits of guacamole to do like flowers and bullshit, and then put it in a fridge to like help it form, and it was it was ridiculous. That is, and you know what? I gotta say, your sister is um, <laughs> talented. Yeah. To even have really this is. idea, to even have this idea. I know. That is out there. Um, so. <laughs> Sour cream frosting. So it must have been like essentially eating like an enchilada. Yeah, I imagine it was like an enchilada or a lasagna. Here's a picture. I want to hear your reaction to the, the sight of this monstrosity. What in the world? Oh, actually, it does look like a cake. Like, uh, I mean, just for the audience <laughs> here, there is even what I can only assume this green um, dressing that's supposed to be creating the fake roses. There are pink roses. With little green flowers from them. Yeah. And I have a feeling that's probably guac. But the pink stuff, I don't even Actually, know. Actually, I don't know what the pink stuff is either. What is the pink stuff? I'll like, tell you amazing. what, audience. I'll put a link to this image. Because um, it's on Instagram. Um, and my sister does some really crazy food stuff. Like bento boxes that are too adorable to eat and that sort of shit. What? But, uh, yeah. The diarrhea central, though. Fucking diarrhea central. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that cake, um, uh, let me tell you, it's so thick that that uh, looks like one slice is like an 800-calorie slice. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that they ate all of that. <laughs> yeah, wow. That is crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, to Tangent Train, I am your host, Josh, joined as always by the fabulous, the lovely, the... Wearing an eye patch, Garner! That's right, the eye patch is on today. He had that lazy eye misbehaving, so he put it in timeout. Yeah, it's in timeout today, because it doesn't want to play ball. I like it, because it totally looks like you have like a weird pixel eye from like a video game. 
Yeah. Kind of like this nice square outline with the white center. Let me let me tell you, like electrical tape. I need to just get a sharpie and draw a pupil on there. Yeah, that's frustratingly well. looking in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, it's like looking away, <laughs> just like my regular eye. Yeah, the secret here, people, is if you just want to make an eye patch, um, the stuff that really sticks well to the skin is electrical tape. Yeah. And uh, electrical tape will do it real good. It'll stick to your skin. And then uh, I would suggest that you then, um, um, and then for your eye patch, you know, just cut out a block, tape, you know, use four pieces of electrical tape. And your eye patch should be um, probably like some toilet paper. In this case, I used a napkin that was soft. It needs to be, there needs to be enough material though that you can pull the thing back from your eyelashes while your uh, eyelid is blinking. Because your right eye still blinks when your left eye blinks. And if you're asking yourself right now why the fuck you would ever need to make yourself an eye patch because your eyes are pretty much normal, um, on the off chance that you get a, eye, a splinter in your eye, you're going to want an eye patch. A metal splinter. Not just a metal splinter. Sure. I've, I've had a wood splinter in my eye. Yeah, you got and uh, I'll tell you what, you don't want that eye looking all over the place or blinking all the time. <laughs> that yeah. is the last thing you want, and it is so easy to do by accident, unless you cover that bad boy. Yeah, so I, I highly suggest, if you don't already have electrical tape in your go kit for the coming apocalypse, <laughs> get get electrical tape for your go kit. Yeah, that's, that's pro tips with Garner Adam. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's my, my life hack, because I'm a hack. At life. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned apocalypses. It seems... I, I mean, I've... Apocalypses are funny to me, because... There's... A lot of them, kind of like, in entertainment media, it seems, these days. Oh, yeah, Hunger when Games. They, when there didn't used to be, like, uh, and a lot of different varieties of them. And... I mean, I've seen... I've actually seen a video that talked a little bit about what might have popularized this genre mm. of entertainment. This sort of like everything's bad genre of entertainment. Yeah. What if we lived in a <laughs> in not in paradise? Because what's funny to me is like, I'd say in a lot of them, you know, it's still like a classic hero's tale or hero's journey. Sure. That's usually going on in that environment. But for some reason, like the framing of the apocalyptic environment seems to like add extra weight or value to it or somehow makes like spices it up in a special way that people are just all about yeah i mean there is this aspect I, i'm gonna i'm gonna just immediately cut to like the dark part of apocalypse movies okay there here's the dark part about apocalypse movies and apocalypse books they make it so that the protagonist can condone doing things that are normally Antisocial. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Right, and so th that sounds weird, right? Like to spell that out. Normally, it is antisocial for the guy in V for Vendetta to be a terrorist and shoot all those police officers. Right. Right, and normally, if you are part of a violent terrorist organization, um, and your name's Osama bin Laden, um, you had it fucking coming, but. You know, like, if you look at Hunger Games, the gal in that is a terrorist, right? And she's a terrorist icon, and she is literally Osama Bin Laden with a bow. I mean, I think it comes with a caveat. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, according maybe maybe to, I shouldn't have used the word literally. I it think is. according <laughs> to the government that's in control of that dystopia, yes. Well, I mean, she's a terrorist. Right? Well, fr- but from the perspective of the audience watching the show, it's not like this person's, oh, by the way, Osama Bin Laden. Right, it's not... You're going to be rooting for Osama by the end of this movie or book. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the other big thing is they tend to also be successful. Like, right. terrorists in our world tend to just lose. Yeah. Right? But, like, in, in movies, they tend to do pretty well. M- movies, by the way, are fiction. Uh, don't become a terrorist... That like you t- generally you lose. You know it's funny. I'm just now as I'm thinking about it, realizing like how many films are kind of framed from this point of view. Yeah. Like a lot of those sort of like battle uprising films could be doing that. I think Star Wars is a great example. Yeah, Star Wars is really interesting. However, in that there's actually like a legit uh, movement, right? Within like amongst like various worlds. Um, and various political organizations. I will say something funny, though. I'm just now realizing. So, in in the original Star Wars trilogy, spoilers if you haven't seen those 80s movies. Yeah, um, from the 80s. Over 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, so, the bad guys make this massive weapon that's the size of a fucking moon in space that blows up one planet, one populated planet, which is bad. Yeah. Lots of people die. And so, the bad guys then go out, blow up this this moon that is fully staffed with people. Yeah. And by this point in the series, we don't know that those aren't technically people. Like, that doesn't come out in the original trilogy at all. By the end of Return of the Jedi, you still think stormtroopers are just people. Yeah. And that it's cool to mow them down. By the, like, just millions. Right. Because, like, while the surface of a planet is heavily populated and dense and large... That moon isn't just the surface of the moon that's populated. It is, like, top to bottom filled with staff. <laughs> yeah, it probably actually had the population of a small planet on it. Yeah, and then they just totally toast it out of the sky. They kill them all to the man. Because they're threatening one of their rebel bases on an otherwise deserted planet. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Star Wars is pretty crazy. Star Wars is interesting though, in 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 why I wouldn't fall into why I wouldn't exactly put in the same camp as normal apoc- apocalyptic dystopia stories is that there's actually a legitimate um, law enforcing you know um, political organization out there, right? Like yeah. it's not like it's not like they went underground. Now Luke in particular is a traitor. Right. For what it's worth, like you know, he, he in particular is a traitor. But it would be weird to say that Princess Leia is a traitor, right? Yeah, you know, she's she's a, frankly a secessionist. You know, she, she may as well have been from South Carolina and decided she's not going to take it anymore. Right, and Han Solo was set up from the beginning as an opportunist. Right. So, but Luke in particular, though, he is actually a traitor to the Empire. Sure. So, I mean, so like I focus on, uh, I look at this dark spot, right, and I think, okay. When I look at these movies, they tend to make it cool to do bad things. Mm-hmm. And the ones that are actually self-aware about this will will actually try to do something about it. Like, you know, when we think about, um, like, say, The Walking Dead. Yeah. The Walking Dead's really self-aware about this. Mm-hmm. That um, now that you're in this survival situation, you're a complete fucktwat asshole. In fact, the, the graphic novel that the show, popular show, is based on I had heard from my roommate at the time who was big into the graphic novel when the show was coming out 
that the the author's premise was basically okay. Let's say that there's a zombie apocalypse, and this sheriff guy basically wakes up after everything's gone to hell, and and he's like this really good guy, this beacon of like moral um, a moral compass and stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, how can I continuously fuck with this character? Yeah. How can I consistently make his life worse? Like, that was the premise of the graphic novel. Yeah. How can I ruin Rick Grimes? <laughs> yeah, make his life suck. And the TV show, for the most part, has followed that line. Although, the irony here is that because it's written well enough that you become invested in the character and the tertiary characters, that the author is also doing it to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're putting you in a situation. They're making you care about people that they're going to ruin, and you're going to be rooting for them and watching the despair and sharing the despair um, by proxy. <laughs> I, I'll give an example. Um, personally, I played um, Telltale Games made a really great Walking Dead um, RPG, a visual novel, frankly. But Telltale Games made a video game. It's really good, even if you don't play video games. Uh, it's not like a normal video game. It's not like there's a lot of skill tests or anything. I highly recommend that literally everyone who is physically capable play the game. I actually wholeheartedly endorse the game. It is that good. Because it's not really a game. Like I said, it's more like a movie um, that you have to do some clicking. you got to make choices. you got to make some choices. In the there's game, a little bit of um, sort of quick time event-esque. Yeah, you gotta press some buttons sometimes rapidly or whatever, but it's yeah. not hard. And um, but most of the game is about making choices, listening to com- cool voice acting, and being put it in situations. Really, it's a lot like playing a pen and paper role playing game. And if you've been listening to Tangent Train, <laughs> you need to be doing that. You just need to go back to my love letter to, tra- uh, to role playing. So Garner's like, play this game that get- that's a gateway drug. Get, and yeah, then you'll start, be throwing dice everywhere. Start with marijuana, go straight to heroin. <laughs> <laughs> no, um. So, anyways, in this game, I was presented with a situation. I played it side by side with my girlfriend. Um, nice. She, uh,. And in the first season, I was the one who made the decisions, and she was the one who hit me and told me that I was a bad person for the decisions <laughs> I made. But sometimes we would sit there and talk about the decisions, or after the story, we'd talk about them. And one of the ones that was a big hang-up for, um, that was easy for her and hard for me, um, was we came upon a car okay. that had the lights on. Oh. The car had the lights on. It had power. And the door, the car, uh, the driver's side door was ajar. Mm-hmm. There was no one inside it. And, um, and, in, and in the back of the car, uh, there was canned goods, ammunition. Oh, wow. Medical supplies, paper. This is somebody's mobile safe house. Yeah, it was just, they had all their stuff. But the car was on, just just idling, and the door was open. And, uh, you know, like, there's no, there's no one there, like, holding a gun to your head. There's no one there to tell you what to do. You're mm-hmm. just there alone. And there's, here's opportunity. Opportunity has knocked. There is a lot of good stuff there. And in a post-apocalyptic scenario, you really don't know if that person, um, is even alive. Right. 
They could have ran off and whatever. And if they are, and you take their stuff, what are the chances that they're going to catch up with you? Yeah, even if they don't catch up with you, you killed them. Right. You you probably killed them. Yeah. And uh, so at first, April and I get there, and April's like, yeah, we need that stuff. And then I'm like, I don't, this is pretty tough. Like, fucking A, like, you can't spend more than a few minutes out of your car, right, to go take a leak or whatever. Whatever that person was doing. Yeah. Without some person just, like, absconding with it, right? And what about just, like, the basic principle? You know, I'm just going to get on my high horse here. My father actually had a saying about this. Okay. It was a really simple saying. My father said to me, he said, you know, there's an easy rule when it comes to theft. If it's not yours... It's not yours. Yeah. Right? Like, if it wasn't yours to begin with, and you know it's not yours, then you, like, automatically know that you can't take it and it's not yours. Because it's not yours. Yeah. Right? Like, like I know it sounds tautologist, but it's, it's, it's really just quite simple. You already know the basic step. You don't need to reason beyond that. It's not yours. Oh, yeah. So I'm looking at this stuff and it's like, it's clearly not mine. But at the same time... Right? It's there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I deliberated over it for a really long time. And April was there, and she was back and forth. And I took the shit. <laughs> I took it. I fucking took the shit. And, uh, yeah. Guess what, by the way, because it's The Walking Dead, some shit went down because of that way later in the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so I think about, like, that game's really self-aware, right? Like, I think of myself as moral. I think of myself as trying to do the right thing. And uh, But when, in that circumstance, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I justified, I explored the idea of doing a bad thing for reasons. Right. Right. This, to me, is one of, like, the opening salvos of dystopia. <laughs> this, right, is, yeah. this is the whole idea. Yeah, that's that's the the hook, right? It's one of the big hooks. It's one of the big things that's going on. Exploring doing a bad thing for reasons. What's interesting, and I think a lot of people get out of dystopia, is that today you are really constrained, and it might sound weird to feel constrained about it because you are frankly blessed that you live that you can even explore this concept. Sure. But we live in an in era where we spend our, uh, where we can actually say to ourselves, man, you know, I actually feel constrained with, like, how safe and easy it is. I never get to ever act out. And I never have a good reason to do these things. Yeah. You know, like, like there's a lot of men out there pent up with testosterone that want a good reason to punch someone in the face. <laughs> they, you know, after a while, like, they just really want a good reason. And they don't. Right. And there's a lot of people out there who might really want to see what it was like to, like, actually have a challenge. Right? Like, life's easy now. Sure. Like, compared to dystopia. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of dystopia, while framed in, like, a familiar-esque way, um, because it's an important job, I think, of of the main character to ferry you through... Um, the oddities of that environment. Like, you know, there's a term for it that I'm forgetting right now, but basically, like, 
the questions that you would have from the life you're living as the audience member versus the life that is presented in the show, the main character is supposed to sort of um, ferry you along. Right. You know, as he learns about the, the bizarreness of his setting or her setting and why things are the way they are, it is like shuttling the audience with them, you know. Like, he could just turn and, you know, dead-eye the barrel of the camera and be like, you get it? Yeah, you get it. <laughs> like, like, an interesting aspect to me is there's another video game, um, Fallout 3, which was very successful, which was followed by Fallout New Vegas, and then more recently Fallout 4. Yeah. But that video game franchise is based on, like, a really dark apocalyptic dystopia where the government actually made, like, secret bunkers so that they could experiment on people. And then when the war fell, guess who survived? Yeah, the people in the secret bunkers who were experimented on are the ones who repopulate America. Whoops. So the game's like really tongue-in-cheek. And when you actually play the game, it just feels like this weird fantasy land of just like treasure and random stuff you find. Yeah. Crazy people and weird experiences. And it doesn't feel actually like all that bad. You don't even have to try hard to survive in these games. What's funny to me... About those, um, I don't know what we would classify them as, like the high devastation apocalypse scenario, like yeah. your Mad Max, your Fallout, um, they seem to have like this weird sort of romanticism with material goods. Yeah. I mean... They're like more consumer. The, what's funny is like... Um, there's like certain artist communities I'll ferry around where you know like where I share my art and stuff like Instagram or DeviantArt and the like and uh, I found like there's an interesting subset of um, like a photography genre of finding these old forgotten places that are effectively ruins like modern ruins oh the ruin porn and photograph them in like this really beautifully artistic way you know like like the shots are catching the architectural lines that contrast with all the organic lines in the shot there's a lot of gritty texture and rich contrasting colors of like the lush green that's encroaching on you know the fading wallpaper paints and carpet colors and you know in in a sense it is very romantic to be like look at this dead place you know <laughs> There's like this odd contrasting of emotions that invoke a very sort of artistic feel and, and is inspiring in the audience, probably in ways that, you know, most of the audience members don't understand why. But I feel like the, um, you know, these high devastation where like society is literally smashed to ruins um, have a similar sort of romanticism with material objects like that because it's, nothing is as it should be or as you might remember it but it's still recognizable enough that like when you enter a house and fallout and see you know the slightly 50s decor that you remember from right. photographs right and you're listening to warbly old versions of of um of uh big band music and you find some like dusty baseball bat in some kids room with a cradle you know and you're just like it it's a story being told in objects alone and it has this heavy nostalgia tones 
even though I didn't grow up in the 50s. Right. My dad didn't grow up in the 50s, <laughs> you know? Well, now, like, it's almost alien. Like, right. if you play, you know, if you're a young kid playing Fallout now, that world is just an alien world. And yet it still manages to capture audiences right. with that feeling. Nostalgia for something they never knew. You know, this weird abstract fantasy that's abstracted from a fantasy. Yeah, because <laughs> you know? yeah, Fallout's, you know, a totally fantasy world. So the interesting thing about what you're bringing up there about, like, this emphasis on that is there's actually, like, some dystopia actually is essentially saying that, like, your consumerism and your culture and that stuff is good, right? Yeah. Like, that, that when you're gone... That will be all that left. Like you, you might think that the movie poster of your of some movie, it's just like merch. It's like, just merch. Like maybe you don't have it that bad. <laughs> yeah, maybe you don't have it that bad. And and it will be like what you fondly remember about like your civilization, like your Funko miniature bobblehead guys, right? Yeah. Those will still exist probably long after you're dead. They represent you and your society. It's it's a much more artistic version of that Facebook trash. It's like, if you remember this, the near 90s kid liked the post. Yeah, liked <laughs> the post. It's like, yeah, hey, Arnold wasn't that long ago, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it's a way of saying like that like our lives are um, kind of symbolic in a way and... You know, they will, many of, like, our impact and the, our culture and what we are is is represented in, through history, essentially through objects. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Through objects. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with I you. I think following this sort of ro- romance of material goods and nostalgia stuff, like, you see that in a lot of modern media, too. Um, what's funny to me is, like, in the generation we are, like, when I grew up... Every once in a blue moon, a cartoon would come on that my dad would be like, oh, I remember watching this as a kid. Right. It was usually like Bugs Bunny or some old Hanna-Barbera cartoon, you know, that was like, to you, you're like, uh, to me as a kid was being like, wow, this does look really old. Yeah, and, that's exactly how I felt. And, but it was like rare and an odd chance, and I was like, no, I'm into these new cartoons, dad. Screw your, your oldness. I'm going to go watch Powerpuff Girls, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> Was it Powerpuff Girls, really? No, when no. I was a kid, it was more like Ninja Turtles and, um, uh, and the X Men reboot. Then, I watched a lot. Oh of yeah, that reboot, reboot. That was great. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I, I I still watch cartoons because I fucking love cartoons. Animaniacs, man. Can't oh yeah, believe. that was yeah. so fucking good. I still but can't believe. It. Here's what's funny: with the age of Netflix and Hulu and stuff, my son will find that shit on his own and start watching it and like it. Wow. Like here's a here's a funny tribute. My son watched the original Transformers that he found on his own. Like, that old OG selling toys Transformers. Stuff that Shabby's into. Yeah. And uh, our buddy Shabber. And um, uh, then he started watching the new ones that are like 3D animated and um, are like weird revamps of the same character. Uh, oddly enough, the voice actor. For Optimus Prime, still the voice actor for Optimus Prime. What in the heck? Yeah, he's an old man now. Wow. <laughs> um, but still nails it. But my son preferred the old stuff. Huh. Even after watching the new ones, he's like, nah, this old stuff's better. Maybe. And, and Animaniacs is another one that he stumbled on. I was like, oh, fuck, I love this show. 
<laughs> I, yeah, Animaniacs is a good one. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like, here we are. We're just going full nostalgia train here. Exactly. But, you know, the one of the things I really like about Dystopia and why I am into Dystopia is um, because Dystopia makes it easy for you to come up with reasons to do things, um, what that essentially translates into is that you feel more free to act as you feel to do. Okay. Right? Like, in our world, if you're some dude who didn't like the way some guy mean mugged your girlfriend, mm-hmm. and you, for whatever reason, want to punch that guy in the face, you are constrained. Sure. Right? And if in our world, I don't know, I mean, I'm just going to be, like, really timely right now. If in our world you feel threatened by bullies on Facebook or the internet <laughs> and you would like to go and fight for justice, quote, unquote, yeah, right, and, you know, take to the streets and take back your community, you probably feel constrained. Sure. Right? In dystopia, it's so bad that reasons are enough to act, to do whatever you want. And because of that, you have the freedom to do what you want. And, um, and so my favorite aspect of dystopia is, and the exploration of that is, um, you know, realizing like just how much we actually m- miss our constraints or how important our constraints are to our life. Uh-huh. And more importantly, like as a game master, I like to put people in dystopia. I like to yes. see. Yes, he does. Yes, I do. I like to see what you know, what reasons, what justifications, what what's enough of a reason. Like I took that guy, you know, like I talked about in the game, I walked away with that guy's car, car and yeah. his stuff, right? And um, you know what what drove me to do it, right? Like I wouldn't do it in real life if there was some car on the side of the road with a like seventeen Xboxes and you know. 50 grand in it uh-huh. would I just get into that car and just drive away today no way right I wouldn't do it right uh, mostly because I think I'd get caught yeah right but I wouldn't do it right even if there's 50 grand in the back even if there's 100 grand I wouldn't just jump into some guy's car and drive away yeah um but in that scenario I did right so yeah. it's that freedom, right? You you get the freedom and you get to start to explore that. Part of me also wonders, because we live in a world that no longer has, like, physical frontiers. Yeah, like, it does. Like, I get into debates with this about Zephyr, but okay. they're not, like, the real frontier. Well, it's not like, you know, um, the history books frontier we remember where people right. are just like... You know what? I want to go start a town on my own. I'm going to head that way and go take some space. It's not like the frontier where you actually got to make your own rules. Right. And be self-determining. Yeah, and I feel like the internet, I think, does definitely provide some ground for that. No. Because we're paving a lot of new veritable road online, like... We're still figuring out how the laws work online, considering that it's basically global territory that is privately owned. (laughs) I'm going to make a a really horrible analogy about humans. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Here's my horrible analogy about humans. 
if you imagine what was going on um, when England started taking like all its prisoners and various people and sending them to the New World and Australia and that yeah. sort of thing, right? Uh-huh. Okay, humans are a lot like roaches festering under your kitchen sink. <laughs> There's so fucking many of them in one place and they can barely tolerate each other that the ones, they, they eventually just single out like a group of them and force them out. And those are the ones you see and remember. The ones that got forced out of the festering pile. <laughs> right? And then sometimes, most of the time, the ones that get forced out, you slap and you kill. And other times, they make their own festering colony called America. Woo! Best roach hotel ever. <laughs> but my, my point is here is that the problem is, is that here on Earth, if you don't feel totally cool in your festering roach land, right? I'm just going to keep running with this analogy. If you don't feel totally welcome in your place, and you want to leave and try it on your own and make your own roach motel somewhere else. There's it's hard to do that. You can't get away from the rules of the other roaches. Yep. Right? It's hard. Right? There are places there's in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. Yeah. Right? Um there is way up north Canada. Um, yeah. You could always try to like try your own special space project called the Sahara. You could just try to live <laughs> out there. Good luck. It, it's pretty close to living on Mars. Yeah. Right? I mean, there are places that you can go. But the thing is, though, is people have already said that their rules still count there. Wherever right. you go. Yeah. They're always going to get to you. What was different, like, say, like, and the, the romantic out west, the wild west of America's is in a lot of us of the Americas, yes, technically the rules still apply to them. They still apply to those people, technically. Yeah. But it was so delayed, and there was it was so much easier to always just move your Roach Hotel that, ah, uh, not really. But in today's world, if you just went out in the middle of nowhere and you just started, like, building all kinds <laughs> of crazy shit, um, yeah, someone's going to notice, and they're going to probably, uh, frankly, they're going to steal your stuff. Right. But I feel like... Um... To bring it back, the uh, a lot of apocalypse scenarios offer that same idea. Yeah. Is that you get to forge your own, you know, this this society is going to start with you. And um, you're going to make You're your own it, roach. You're going to make it what you will. You're, you're the roach after... And it probably won't go bad. It's <laughs> going to go real bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're the roach after the boric acid was applied. <laughs> right, yeah. That's a good trick. Boric acid. It's yeah. cheap and effective. I mean, I've heard. Yeah. Of, uh, <laughs> um, mm. America. America. <laughs> no, I mean, so when I look, I think about that. I think like there is just this frontier freedom aspect. Fallout 4, the most recent Fallout, really played up on this. Yes. Where you could go to, like, new communities and get them under your banner and build strange skyscrapers. Out of garbage. Out of garbage. Um, You know, it's a good thing that in the future that um, there's these super light, super dense, heavy materials that defy gravity. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyways, you could go out and build things and you could find things and there was treasure you know, what's interesting is in our world today, if you find treasure, someone else probably owns that treasure. Yeah. Right? Like, if, like even if you go, like, 
deep under the water trying to look for, you know, like, let's say you found, like, a sunken ship. There's, like, an army of dudes out there to be like, that sunken ship is my sunken ship. It's totally mine. Never mind international waters. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, so you're always, but in, in dystopia, particularly the, the humanity's been wiped out dystopia. Yeah. You, you get to do what you want, right? You're no longer constrained. And there is a fantasy there that, um, that people want to explore, that people really like. It's my favorite aspect I, um, I've often dreamed about homesteading myself, and I'll tell you what, the day may come. April has even expressed the idea that maybe, um, we might actually go out someplace where the land is cheap and give it a, give it a good, solid go. I'll tell you what, my girlfriend's in the same camp. Yeah, I mean, I would like to give it a shot, because, you know, uh, but, but, you know, making podcasts is a lot harder when you actually have to cut your own wood. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so, and so that's where I think the real value of dystopia is. You start to like remember the things that you actually like about society. One of the ones I love to do in my particular versions of dystopia is there's no money. Right. Not mo- there's no money. There's not even anything close. Yeah. And you know you start to realize like just how important and how much, how money is so so important. Yeah. I mean, fucking fiat currency to me still, it's sort of baffling that we managed to just sort of agree upon that. We're we, we sort of like, in history, we sort of fell into agreeing upon fiat money systems, which if you're not familiar with what that means, I bet Garner can do a better explanation than I can. I actually know some people who actually just did a whole series on the history of currency. Oh, yes. I'm going to plug extra credits... Um, they do a channel called Extra History, and they just did like a five or six part series on the history of currency, leading all the way from like the early times of people money to banknotes, all the way up to the fiat currency we use today and why we got off the gold standard. You have to send me a link to that playlist and I'll put it in the description. I will absolutely do that. Yeah, it, it was really good. It actually just happened. And so, yes, I could go at length, but they okay. did it better. Yeah, no, definitely. I'd, I'd plug them, too, because I think they're awesome. They're really good. And the, the, the sort and sweet is, you know, um, fiat currency only works, right? Um, and it's hard to, you know, the way we achieved it is that, you know, you need somebody to actually back it up. Right. You need actually someone to actually back like, yeah. actually back it. There and needs to be an authority that's like, yes. Like, our money that is... That has value. It's <laughs> good to go, right? Like, um, the way we achieve fiat currency is, if you actually look carefully, and you'll see this in the episodes, I think uh, our listeners will agree, is it was actually kind of by accident. Yeah. You know, America ended up being, like, the fiat currency of the world. Trendsetter, yeah. And, um, but, but, they were the fiat currency of the rest of the world who had gotten used to them being a fiat currency, even though America was still on the gold standard. <laughs> and it was only, it was only, I mean, I kid you not, in less than the last hundred years, it was like, it was like, I think, 50-ish years ago wow. um, when we got off the gold standard. I think it was Nixon. You know what? I'll watch the episode again myself. But anyways, <laughs> it was recently. It was yeah. actually way recently that America got off the gold standard, and it was because other countries came and started saying, hey, we want that gold, right? Crazy. And America was like... Everyone started hauling into gold, and America was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now we're on a fiat currency, <laughs> right? And uh, what was interesting is the rest of the world was like, okay. 
Yeah. Right? But what was interesting is they were all on fiat currencies because they had pegged their money against the gold backed by the U.S. currency. Yeah. And when the U.S. was the last domino to fall, the world finally accepted fiat currencies. And then credit cards. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's another another interesting thing I think about with, um, with, with Dystopia and why I really like Dystopia is... Um, to see whether or not the people, like, when people explore, like, movies, books, games, do they actually rebuild the things that they missed? Right? Like, what, what, well, like, what do they try to do? Do they actually try to rebuild the society? I don't know. I feel like, I feel like that depends on, you know, some old writing trope standards. Mm-hmm. The idea of... Every story, there's this old idea that most um, people in writing tend to follow, which is um, it's either a comedy or a tragedy. Right. And so, um, which doesn't necessarily mean it's funny comedy. It just means it's an uplifting story or a sad story. Right. More or less. Um, they're pretty vague general terms, but it, it, they actually work, I think, pretty neatly to contain most stories. You can say this is one or the other. Right. Um, without too much de- um, debating over semantics. But anyway, the, uh, so I would say whether or not that is achieved is probably contingent on whether the story is a tragedy or a comedy. Because if it's a tragedy, the hero ultimately sort of fails at their goal or has to make a compromise of their goals. And so, like, if they're trying to reassemble some vestige of their um, of their past, like, re- rekindle their nostalgia, so to speak, um, then they might either have to make a compromise and be like, this is as good as it gets, but it's not great. Right. Or... Um, no, there's just no hope. I can't have it ever again. Um, I would say, uh, what's a good movie that's an example of that? Um, fucking, um, what was that movie that came out not long ago where people stopped having children? Oh, I think it was called Children of Men. Children of Men. That's one of those. That is really sort of like, even though, spoiler alert for Children of Men, she has the baby, but... Is then kind of drifting at sea by herself, lost, yeah, more or less, and it's just like, yeah, great, that made no fucking difference. Yeah, that worked out, right? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, and uh, and then um, whereas an opposite, where they actually do retain something, I would say, a movie, um, um, which tend to fall more literally as comedy. My examples here would be like, um, uh. Zombieland, that one. I don't know if you saw that. Oh one. yeah, I saw Zombieland. Yeah, that was actually kind of a fun movie. Yeah, and that one ended on a higher note. Although he made a compromise of his rules, he got back more than he even had before the apocalypse. Like a meaningful relationship, friends, sort of speak, and that sort of thing. That's right. And was respected. You know, you talking about like separating these stories. Um, it's actually kind of true of dystopia too. There's really mostly just two kinds. Yeah. There's post society. Uh-huh. Right? Like there there's like frankly catastrophe versions. Sure. Right? There's some catastrophe version and, and we could just call it that. And the other one is oppression. And they are similar. Yeah. Right? They're both these 
challenging times and um and that's why i link it back to but they both allow you to just they both actually give you more freedom it's really weird because in the oppression one right where there's like jack booted thugs like in uh that uh that comedy uh equilibrium oh yeah with uh <laughs> the comedy yeah the comedy equilibrium <laughs> It, it, it features a guy who takes drugs so that he can't listen to Justin Bieber anymore, uh-huh. and then he uses um, gun special gun kata gun katas in order to um, not get shot by stormtroopers. Yeah, right. Um, so, but and he's like an enforcer, and the movie spoilers is about him changing his mind about the oppressive government he works for. Yeah. I'd say another good example is like Blade Runner. Yeah, Blade Runner. Um, Although that's not so much dystopia, but it's close. Hmm. I mean, it's oppression from the from the perspective of the replicants. Right. It is a dystopia. Right, which I think is what they're trying to push. And like, even um, the main character didn't want like he was quote unquote retired. Right. And was um, more or less blackmailed into doing his job again. Yeah. So there, there was definitely dystopian elements to it. Yeah. For sure. Um, and of course, like we mentioned before, fucking Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. Oppression or, again. V for Vendetta. Or Oppression. Or Cousin Divergence. Divergence, yep. Um, and then, uh, um, would you say Children of Men? Children of Men is catastrophe. You think so? Yeah, it's absolutely. It's just like, for some reason, women stop having babies. It's almost like nuclear winter, right? It could be, you know, crop dusting. It's just a catastrophe. I guess so. I guess so. Right? It's not oppression. I mean, people do shitty things. Sure. But the reason it happens... But at the core, it's because of an outside event. Right. It's because of just some catastrophe, right? right like, right. fallout is a catastrophe because bombs, right? Sure. Um, there's a, you know, if a comet hits the planet, catastrophe. Yeah. Nano plague, you know. Yeah. Zombie apocalypse, catastrophe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is some of them mix them, right? They'll have like... Well, a little bit, yeah. They'll, they'll have catastrophe, like zombie apocalypse, but then they'll also have, I think, like in The Walking Dead again, they'll have like the governor or governor. Right, guy, yeah. Right? The, or um, in this most recent season, um, Negan, he's like a figurehead who's all kinds of bad news. Right, and, and again, so they, they combine oppression and catastrophe. Yeah. It's a double dose of dystopia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? And... Um, and so we see... Like I said, how can you fuck with Rick Grimes? <laughs> yeah, how can you fuck with Rick Grimes? It's just like, I need more dystopia. Yeah. But, so to me, you know, when you were saying like, it, you know, comedy or whatever, what's interesting is the oppression ones tend to be the comedies. Yeah, and a lot of times. Yeah, they tend to be the ones where the hero wins. Yeah. Right? And there is a good story, you know, V for Vendetta, and so on and so on. It, the catastrophe ones, though... They're a mixed bag. Oh, yeah. They tend to be, like, um, uh, The Road. Oh, yeah. The freaking Road, man. That movie is dark. I haven't seen that one, but I've heard about it. Right? Um, there was a recent movie where the main character was, um, he had, like, the last Bible or something. The Book of Eli? The Book of Eli. Yeah. No, no, I haven't seen. It was actually a pretty good movie, yeah. to be honest. Um, it, it was, it was subtle. Um, and not so subtle at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but there was there was there was a subtle play on the whole uh, yeah yeah on this thing, so um that uh, you know in the catastrophe movies sometimes the good guys win, but a lot of the times they're just life 
you know, sometimes it gets worse. I mean, like, you know, if you actually think about it, like, even though Planet of the Apes isn't really about dystopia. Sure. Um, it, you know, a large part of it is the catastrophe. Yeah, I think, that I was just thinking, actually, because I was thinking of an anime that is in a dystopian setting, but is not, like, an apocalyptic story. Yeah, Because right. the characters, you, you don't experience the strife with the characters. And it is an impressive, the one I'm thinking of is Gurren Lagann. Oh, Gurren Which I've, I've talked to you about before. Okay. Um, if you guys listening like uh, the anime Fuli Kuli, I think you'll like Gurren Lagann. It's really good. It's only one season long, and it's beautiful, and I love it. Um, but it uh, basically features an oppressive um, dystopia. There's, there's a group of people keeping all the humans on Earth down, literally living underground. Wow. And, um... And the show starts with the main characters breaking out and starting their war path to the government central and then kicking its ass. And, um... And, yeah, it's, it's really good. And But you never see the strife of the characters being oppressed. Right, you never actually it's see just them being established. Oppressed. There is some points in the show where they're like, yeah, this was really bad, and this is why we're fighting. But it is all about their journey of overcoming. Sure, and it's also, um, they and probably have depicted it a little bit like Catastrophe. Another an interesting dystopia um, is actually the anime, uh, oh, come on, it's called something Titans. Titan. Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan um, is a dystopia in that the Catastrophe is that there's giant monsters that are trying to exterminate humanity and eat them. Yeah. They show up all the time, even. Yeah. Why? Who knows, right? Yeah. And um, and what's what's interesting about a lot of these catastrophe movies um, that are have these dystopias? What's interesting about some of them, like say Attack on Titan, is uh-huh. that their lives have societies and order, and people can have regular lives, and um, it has less to do with like the core dystopia. So people don't think of Attack on Titan as a regular dystopia. It's not dystopia enough. Sure. And and the reason why I feel that way, the reason why I think this is central to dystopia is because even though Attack on Titan has the catastrophe, it even has, like, an oppressive, like, super hyper-militant government that, you know, controls the people's lives so that they can fight the 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 monsters. Yeah. The key ingredient is that the main characters and the people in it are not acting out and acting outside of the norms of their societies for reasons, right? They don't mm-hmm. feel they don't have freedom. Right. Right? They're not acting as freely as they could. And I actually just think it's so central to dystopia that the element of acting out and acting at, according to your true wishes instead of the wishes of others. Um I I want to make a funny comment um about that show. I have not watched Attack on Titan and will not watch yeah. Attack <laughs> and Garner knows why oh yes so to key you in audience if you're not aware I have perhaps the world's most bizarre phobia it's so bizarre that it does not have an official name <laughs> I have a ridiculous fear of being eaten alive most specifically being swallowed whole and now I will fully admit I've lo- tried to logic and rationalize this out as best as I can and while I am completely aware that I am never going to be in threat of this, 
unless I like get lost in the middle of the ocean or the heart of the Amazon, might there be a chance? But in most cases, I'll die before I'm consumed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, but you would not believe how many fucking shows and movies and video games will have a scene that takes place in the maw and or belly of some beast or monster. And I have a real-time hard time handling that shit. Like, Pinocchio? Nope. Oh, boy. Ooh. I don't want to watch Pinocchio. Um, Attack of Titan, absolutely. Attack of Titan? Fuck no. Smokes. I watched like half a trailer. I was like, mm, nope. And it comes, shows up in all kinds of weird random places. Like, uh, there was a recent... Or, or semi-recently um, movie iteration of a children's book called um, Where the Wild Things Are would never I, I never read the book but as I understand it it only vaguely follows the book which has like no real story to it and so the movie adds story um, <laughs> or something weird like that but you know someone needs to do that for a book called Snow Crash there's this yeah there's a scene on the late half of that movie where the kid, I kid you not, is running from a monster that's saying that's mad at him and saying, I'm going to eat you. And he comes upon this monster's monstrous love interest, who's like this okay kind of monster chick. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I'll hide you. Just climb into my mouth, and he won't know you're here. So she fucking eats him Yeah. to save the kid from being eaten. And then when the angry monster leaves, she, like, ralphs him up. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah. I like, I literally was like watching this movie with my girlfriend at the time and was not expecting it. It was like a super bizarre fucking garbage film to begin with. And then the late half of that scene comes up. So I was like, fuck. I stood up, walked into my kitchen. I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this movie. <laughs> they, they even tried to make it good to get eaten. I know. It was so ridiculous. But I, so I have this weird pho- phobia. You know, if you know the name of this phobia via Latin or whatever, you should put that in the comments section. So, the closest I've come to finding a legit name for it is Voraphobia. Voraphobia. And I got the prefix vor from the philia. Huh. (laughs) Okay. Because apparently that's a thing. Hmm. Yeah, I'll let you marinate on that one, audience. Maybe Attack on Titan's popular for a whole different reason. Yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, maybe it would be a good thing if we ever needed to use that as a topic for an episode, but I'm hoping that's like episode 5,000. But to get back on track here. No, no, I actually want to talk about this a little more. You do? Yeah, I want to know if, so like, while I work with heavy machinery, right? And there is often like, when you put your hand down in a locked out machine, Uh like you're like, it's locked out. You followed the rules. Yes. The power is off. Now put your hand into the jaws of the robot <laughs> and just put your wrench in there and do the stuff. It's going to be fine. Like, I, that makes me incredibly nervous. Sure. Right? Like, even though I have followed the lockout procedure, I sweat bullets as I do that, as well, I put my hand into the robot. And I can understand that. And I imagine that is more relatable to, like, not having a genuine fear of heights, um, but being uncomfortable standing on a precipice. Yeah. You know, because I think a lot of people aren't super comfortable if they're standing on a cliffside or at the top of some building and look down. 
Like, we all get butterflies, I think, in our stomach, and are like, whoa, okay. Yeah, danger. But we wouldn't call it a fear or phobia because it is neither... It doesn't invoke... For most people, it doesn't invoke, like, a completely irrational response or a very physically visceral response. Yeah, well, well, here's my thing. I kept wondering, like, you know, like, in in the first Terminator movie from the 80s... Yeah. The Terminator essentially gets crushed by a robotic mouth. Right. If you look at it that way, those are yeah. like jaws crushing him. Does that at all make you even a little queasy? No, not no. at all. Does it matter? Like I have, there are lots of shows where robots have mouths and bite things. Uh huh. Does it bother you then? No, and, and so they have to be alive. Not just that. Here's where it gets really weird. Okay. We'll go even deeper in this rabbit hole. I'm so glad I went here, right? Yeah. Um, so, say in like a film, a guy like Jaws is torn apart by a shark. Okay. Or falls into a river that's full of, you know, rabid piranhas Got in that it. unrealistic movie way. And um, Rabid. That, not, not a problem for me. Oh. Okay, it's, it's the swallows. The Let's most say like... Starship Troopers, guy gets bitten in half by a bug. Nah. Okay, no, I, f- no I follow better now. I follow better What's now. What really what really gets to me, what's really like the trigger here, is conceptualizing, experiencing, being digested. Okay. Alright. That All right. will literally turn my stomach and make me sweat, like in a cold sweat. I even just talking about it calmly here, I'm beginning to feel a little tinge. You know? I, be- I believe it. Yeah, you get a little <laughs> little pink around the face. So moving, so now, now I just I had to make sure I understood. Yeah. So so back to dystopia. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I actually really want to plug a dystopia. This one's an oppression dystopia. Okay. And again, it emphasizes freedom. It actually goes like really hardcore on like philosophy. Um, it's really good. It's on Netflix. It is called Psychopaths. It's an anime. Mm-hmm. And um, in Psychopaths, the government has created essentially the best um, lie detector. Oh. It's so good, in fact, that they can put it on cameras in public and it can tell if you are go- if you are thinking about or are willing to or are even capable of committing a crime. Oh, wow. Right, and the cameras can tell if you are stressed out enough to do one. So they like took Minority Report to a more extreme level. Yeah, they're like on the cameras in public. It's like Minority Report on steroids. Like you're meets Orson Welles. Orson Welles, you're like out <laughs> and about in public. But here's the thing: in Psychopaths, it makes it seem like the government of um, Japan, because it's an anime, so they're yeah. always in Japan. Um, that they live in like a paradise and everyone's much happier. The system works so good, it even tells you what jobs you would be good for you because it actually can tell your personality based just looking at you. Anyways, in Psychopaths, however, um, the show gets into the intersection of like, what, what about the people who don't do very well with the system, who have been labeled as willing to commit crimes? Uh-huh. They have a cloudy psychopath. And then um, and what society does for them. Like, the police officers are actually mostly in the job of capturing people and taking them to rehabilitation clinics and getting them mental health. Oh. Wow. Except if you go too far in your psychopath level, 
Then they have big ass guns and they blow your body in half. <laughs> yeah, and the show is actually about a guy who is somehow not being caught by the system, and he's a serial killer. So I just got curious while you're we talking and looked something up. Um, I realized that we had our two categories of like um, dystopia. Yeah, dystopia apocalypse sort of scenarios. Yeah, but I just realized that those two words. Describe the difference between those. Dystopia is like the oppression, everything's bad. Yeah, yeah. And apocalypse is the destruction <laughs> of things in society. Sure, yeah. I because an apocalypse can be a dystopia you know, can be a dystopia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I you know so I, I like to just like take dystopia and you know, catastrophe and Oppression, but sure, sure, sure. Both fine, both fine. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting because I noticed that we were kind of using it interchangeably. Yeah, and then I was like, wait, no, I think those words actually mean something. <laughs> yeah, there, there's something going on. I there. should confirm that. <laughs> They're almost synonymous. So yeah, that's a that's a good recommendation. It's a cool show. It's really cool. It's dark. If you don't like dark shows, people, you know, fair warning. Some fucked up shit happens in that show would because... You, would you say it's a tragedy or comedy? Uh, <laughs> to be determined? You know, it is really up to the viewer's perception. Oh. Um, uh, I, I'll be honest, though. If you have seen the movie Seven... Yeah. Some people saw the movie Seven and actually thought that they got that guy. Oh, okay. Some people see the movie Seven and they think, holy fuck, <laughs> he won. Right? Yeah, yeah. In this show, Psychopaths, I can say that the ending can leave you either feeling like it didn't work out for them, yeah. or you could actually feel like it did work out. Yeah. It, it's really up for your interpretation, but it's a really cool show. It involves some messed up things, though. I mean, I'm going to be straight up. It is, it's like Seven. It is actually like Seven. It would be like as a Seven and Minority Report had a baby, and it happened to be an anime. All right. And it's really cool. It's one of it's it's actually honestly like one of my favorite animes, and it's a and it's a di- interesting um, oppressive dystopia because their lives are like so micromanaged, just so controlled, but not actually like the the system they call it the civil system is actually trying to like aid you and. Being not having stress in your life. Okay. It's trying to get rid of the stress in your life. And it can detect if you're stressed, and then they try to get you help if you are. Right. And how even that leaves you with no freedom. Nice. And uh, and how like a large part of what you know makes dystopia appealing is like actually, you know, um you know, there's another interesting thing about dystopia that um you know, I talk about freedom, but there's also just the freedom to like reach like your potential without constraints or obstructions, right? Like you're not guided along a little path, yeah, right? You know, you don't you don't jump through society's hoops. And a lot of dy- dystopias, um, once these people like let go of their essentially the norms that normally hold them back, they reach they start to you know very quickly go towards their potential because they can do whatever they want the only thing holding them back at that point is themselves because um they don't actually um there's nothing they don't have any um anything inside them holding them back and so that aspect to me um you know ideologically politically i always really think about that about how 
a lot of us don't do the things that we probably would want to do, even good things that we might want to do. Yeah. Like, like I'll just, you know, have you, there's this thing I actually heard about it. It's less common now, less popular, but it still exists. It's called guerrilla gardening. Hmm. Guerrilla gardening is crazy. Pretty much guerrilla gardening is people go out in groups in the middle of the night and go to public land, like the park over here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, like, dig up a garden really quick and put in, plant a bunch of seeds and get away. That's funny. Right? And it's technically not something you're supposed to be doing. Okay, let's face it, right? It's at least a misdemeanor. Yeah. Right? And um, it's it's not your stuff. You shouldn't be doing that thing, right? Uh-huh. Um, like, like, let's face it, right? There's a difference between, like, graffiti artists who are just, like, vandalizing. Right. And there's graffiti artists who are reaching their potential. But they're, what they're doing is still really not necessarily following society's norms sometimes. they might, yeah. Their graffiti might actually be totally illegal. Absolutely. And um, so, to me, there's this aspect to dystopia that's so interesting to see... And watch and to see how different people explore this idea, artists, writers, or the people in my games when I run a game for them, to see what what is it in society, even the good things that they're doing, um, that's actually being held back. What would they actually do if nothing was holding them back? Uh huh. Um, I wanted to. I knew that. Uh, oops, hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Oh, we're waiting for the thing. Okay. We're good. Um, oh, my timer stopped, though. <laughs> that's really weird, the timer stopped. Yeah, that's, that hasn't happened before. Got a computer, which I were plugging to record this, um, just had the screensaver come on, so I guess we've been waxing on for a while. Yeah, maybe, I mean, I don't know, we could wrap it up. I, I was going to, um, you gave that one recommendation, I was going to ask you, um, what are some of your favorite, um, dystopias or portrayal of dystopias, Ooh. other than the anime you recommended? Yeah, other than Psychopaths, um, I I obviously, you know, I've mentioned quite a few here. I actually really liked um, uh, Fallout, right? I oh, really yeah. think the Fallout series is really cool. Yeah. It explores essentially like a cowboy version of a dystopia, like what if you could just do whatever the hell you wanted. I would say so. Right? Um, this movie, <laughs> actually, not a lot of people like this movie, um, so... Prepare for to flame me, but um, there is a movie and a book called The Postman. Oh, um, actually, I did enjoy that one. Right, and that movie. Um, what's really interesting about that movie, right, is what does that guy do once society's not holding him <laughs> back? He lies. Yeah. He lies and cheats and swindles people. Um, He's basically like a con man-esque opportunist. Yeah, and but his but his lie actually, um, you know, is like so critical to the story. I actually really like um, that movie, um, like just just the idea of it, right? Like he eventually, yeah. like you know, you know what I really like about the message of the movie and the book is that um, you might have heard the saying um, "fake it till you make it." Uh huh. That movie is "fake it till you make it." Definitely. Um, so uh, I got three there. I have psychopaths uh, for oppression, and I have two that are catastrophes. I will admit I tend to like catastrophes more. Sure. Um, but um, you know, there's some classic oppression ones. I mean, I didn't actually really particularly like to read the book 1984. I felt that the book was 
silly in the things that you assume, but man, like, you need to know about 1984. I'd given a strong consideration to recommending that for the next book club. Yeah, it's important <laughs> to know about 1984, just yeah. to be relevant in a conversation, but it's not actually a particularly enjoyable book. No. The writer puts a lot of, uh, what's a, what? you have to suspend disbelief. Yeah, it's definitely a tragedy, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, there we go. I, I have three. I have Psychopaths, sure. I have um, Fallout, and I have uh, my buddy, uh, the Postman. Heck yeah. Um, oh, actually, I got a book, too. One that almost no one has probably heard of, because you guys are... <laughs> Probably just never read this stuff. There is a book series that's old, written by the famous Margaret Weiss, and the book is uh, the series is called the Dark Sword Trilogy. The oh. dark, and it actually ended up being four books. Okay. So it, you know, but it was a trilogy, and then she wrote a fourth book. The book series, and I mean, I this is a series that I just won't spoil for people. Sad. Nice. I can't do it. Nice. I just. I don't care how old it is, I will not spoil. Good, good, good. In this book series, the uh, the main character lives in a world of magic. Okay. Where every single person is born with magic powers. Except for there are people who huh. aren't born with magic powers. They have a weird power where they um, are physically strong and capable and can push metal together and they are immediately outlawed they are considered the worst kind of person and this is the teeny tiny part of the spoiler this book series is a dystopia oppression that is actually a dystopia catastrophe and you just have to read the whole thing to know why it is a really cool book. It's a, it's all about this guy. He's born as the prince. Um, he's born as the prince, and um, he ends up with the wrong, with the wrong magic, or rather, he does not have magic. He's considered evil. Oh. And he doesn't have the magic, and some people shelter him away, and um, due to his evil ability to make a sword, right, <laughs> he produces a sword of his own bare damn hands, okay. like a freak, because everyone in society has magic. And they do everything with it. The whole book's written from the perspective that everybody has magic. Interesting. Um, so he's just a complete weirdo who like jangles together metals. Like they, the the perspective of the people in the book. Just to give an example, like the they talk about like what sort of freak show Frankenstein is a chair produced by these evil people. They essentially carve up the corpse of the tree and they take the different pieces together and they hammer them together with the dead parts of the metal. <laughs> and, that, and that from the perspective of the people in the society, everything that we build in our world is just this Frankenstein. This is horror. Yeah, this is body horror to the max. Okay. The, our, our ability, and what the book's about is the things that we do in our world is this complete body horror. And that these people are just apprehensible, just totally horrible. That's great. And it's called the Dark Sword Trilogy because he produces a magic sword <laughs> that sucks magic. Yeah. And shit goes down because of that. Yeah, oh yeah. It's really good. Margaret Rice, uh, in, in case you don't know who she is, audience, she wrote the Dragonlance series. 
Um, so, you know, if you've heard of, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. Kenders and Raceland and all that stuff, she wrote that series. She's a very famous writer. She's a very good writer. And um, she has this other series that not a lot of people talk about. And the Dark Sword series is actually one of my favorite books. Nice. Um, I've been racking, even though I asked the question, I've been racking my brain to come up with some for myself that probably aren't just the same things you've heard over and over. Um, I would actually... Can can you follow my model? I did an anime. I'm going to try. I did a movie, a book. I'm going to start with a book, but it's probably a a bit of a stretch. I would say that the, the book version of Fight Club... It's more of an impressive um, uh, dystopia than the movie might have portrayed. Oh, really? Yeah, there's just a few extra... Like the, the movie actually does a really decent job of following a lot of the key points in the book up until the end. Well, the, the good part about Fight Club and why I still agree with this is because so much of it is about them shedding their norms and just right, doing right. what they want. Exactly. Yeah. And... Um, and, and the, so they frame modern society as the oppressive dystopia right. and are trying to shake those shackles. But um, I can tell you that um, the way the book ends it does a much more interesting job of it, the way the movie does. I mean, the movie's still good. I love the movie. Yeah, the movie's but great. But once I read the book version, I was like, holy fuck, that makes a huge impact, the change that they made. I bet the internal monologue in the book is also even better. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, okay, so you got a book. And then for movie, um, for movie, I would have to say... It's going to be like Children of Men, fuck it. No, I actually didn't like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm probably actually going to go with like, uh, maybe slightly controversial. Um, I actually liked Terminator 4. What? Not 4, but wait. What was the one with um, um, the guy who played Batman? Okay, that, yeah, I think that was four. Okay, yeah, yeah. Terminator I actually yeah. kind of like Terminator Four. Yeah, very up. Yeah. Okay. As, as weird as it was, and as much as like the plot line was fucked to shit by three and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually kind of liked four. Okay. All right. Um, um, I'll tell you what. I love the dystopia of uh, the Terminator movies. So yeah. don't get me wrong. Yeah. And then um, I am going to. See your anime, but swap for a game. Okay. I'm so. gonna actually promote um, La, uh, Last of Us. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, now caveat: I did not play the game, but because it's a linear game, I did the modern thing and watched somebody else play the game. So you're saying that? I actually watched Day Nine play the game. Oh. And his playthrough of it was uh, pretty clean, and um, you still got to experience all the story elements. Why he makes fun of it, probably. Uh, and he didn't make too much fun of it, but um, during the playing of it. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. The story, I thought the story and the settings were really well done. All right. We have left you, the audience, with like just an absolute laundry list of shit to read and watch. And uh, to, you know, just to think about, like, how much dystopia is about acting out. I hope um, hope you're enjoying your holidays and that you don't act out uh, too much while you're getting loaded up on Martinelli's apple cider. (laughs) 
You love that shit, man. I fucking love that shit. I'm plugging Martinelli's. Martinelli's is like liquid crack. By the way, you know, uh, Martinelli's, if you're listening, um, send me a, send me a bottle of Martinelli's. Don't pay in cash. If they give you, if they start sponsoring you with bottles of Martinelli's apple cider, will you stop being a ninja ghost and be, get on Facebook? Get on Facebook. I'll get on Facebook and be like, <laughs> I'm like, I'll do anything for Martinelli's. I'll do five posts a month to, to preach Martinelli's. Martinelli's. Look, Marty. I need more Martinelli's. Thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to leave a comment telling us what you think about the show. Or if you have a topic you want to hear us cover, you can tell us that too. Sound effects were provided by Rock Savage and Elijah Unick. Music for the show is provided by Ben Sound. If you like Tangent Train, why not tell your friends about us? That really does help. Thanks. <laughs>